Well, we are in our, uh, our final week of our series, looking at the names of God. We've called this series, No Other Name. And we've gone through uh, the series uh, for this whole year so far. And we've been looking at, uh, at various names of God so far. Some of the names that we have seen uh, of God. Yahweh Elohim, the Lord of Lords. Yahweh Ra, the Lord our Shepherd. Yahweh Shalom, the Lord our Peace. Yahweh Rapha, the Lord our healer, and Yahweh Jireh, the Lord our provider. Uh, all of these are still available to go and, uh, and catch up online if you haven't seen any of these, uh, of these messages so far. And I've been so encouraged as we've gone through uh, this, this series, not just thinking that these are names of God that were simply given to him in the Old Testament just for then, but these are continuing characteristics and aspects of, uh, of God's character that carry through today. And it's been really wonderful as we've been going are going through this series to see that these aspects of Lord, Shepherd, Peace, Healer, Provider are most ultimately demonstrated through the person and work of Jesus. And this morning, we are in our final part of this series as we look at this, uh, this final name, Yahweh Tzidkenu. It's taken me a little while to get this, uh, that one nailed this week. Uh, and this name that we'll be looking at means the Lord, our Righteousness. Now, there were multiple names still of God that I could have used from the Old Testament for this final part of our, uh, of our series together. But this aspect of God's character, his righteousness, is something that impacts us here today and impacts our identity here today in such a, a profound way and we can experience huge transformation in our life when we understand the Lord, our righteousness. And there are two places that we find this, uh, this name of God used in the Old Testament and they are both in the book of Jeremiah. So if you have your Bible, I do invite you to open up to uh, Jeremiah. Feel free to use your, uh, your contents if you're not sure where Jeremiah is. And the first passage is in uh, Jeremiah 23, verses 5 to 6. And the second passage is Jeremiah 33, verses 15 to 16. Um, both of these um, passages seem quite similar to one another. They'll both be up there on the screen so that you're able to, uh, to see them. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 to 6, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous saviour, Yahweh Tidkenu. The second passage, we'll just read straight on right now. Jeremiah 33, verses 15 to 16. It says, In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Saviour, Yahweh Tidkenu. Now, this book of, uh, of Jeremiah is an extremely uh, strange and confusing book 
uh, for, for us in our society to read. Um, we're probably used to things being described in a fairly linear fashion, but that's not the way that Jeremiah is written. In Jeremiah, there is narrative, there's poetry, there are prophecies like both of these, and so uh, at times, uh, Jeremiah can seem a little bit confusing. Both of these passages, they are prophecies that are written to uh, God's people at a time when they were looking down the barrel of spending a uh, a huge amount of time in exile away from their promise, uh, from the promised land in captivity to the Babylonians. And these promises that we see here in Jeremiah 23 and Jeremiah 33, they are promises of a king who will come from the line of David. And the key aspect that is referred to about who this king is going to be is that he is going to be a righteous king. The righteousness of this king comes through again and again. But not only will this king be a righteous king, but this is Yahweh, Sidkenu, Yahweh. Remember in our first week when we spoke about Yahweh, the personal name that was given to, uh, to God's people back in Exodus so that they would be able to, uh, to speak to him as, uh, as Yahweh. This is a, uh, a sign of intimacy that God gives to his people. So God will come and dwell with his people and he will be the righteous king. Now, as I said before, this, uh, at this time, the, uh, the Israelites are staring down the barrel of a huge amount of time in exile where they will be stripped of their dignity and their promised land and their freedom. And the reason that the uh, Israelites are going off into captivity in Babylon is because for a, a long period of time, they had unrighteous kings. They had kings who turned to all different gods and, uh, and weren't following uh, the ways of, of Yahweh. And any time that the king turned away from Yahweh, often it was uh, fairly natural for the people then to follow on as well. So there were some, some good kings, but for the most part, more and more of these kings turned their hearts away from God, and where the king's heart turned, the people's hearts uh, often turned as well. God sent multiple prophets um, that we see throughout the Old Testament to come and warn the kings and warn the Israelite people, if you don't turn back to Yahweh, there is judgment that is coming, there is exile that is coming, and if you don't turn back to him, these are, this is what is, is going to happen. But at no stage did, uh, did these kings listen to uh, the words of, of the prophets. Now, I don't think it's any... Um, it's any surprise here that the key aspect of God's character that is being drawn out and expressed is his righteousness. Because for so many years, the Israelite people had had to deal with unrighteous kings. They dealt with people who were uh, who were turning their hearts away from God, and it was because of the king's unrighteousness that they were now heading into exile. If you were the average uh, Israelite, you probably didn't want to hear much about any, uh, having any more kings, but here we see the promised king in uh, chapter 23 and chapter 33. This king is going to be different, 
This king is going to be known by their righteousness. This is going to be a good king who is going to come. The language here is that a man from the line of David will rise up and that this man will also have the fullness of Yahweh within him. Yahweh, as we've already spoken about, this personal supreme name of God that God gave to his people in Exodus. Yahweh will come to be with his people and you will know that this is Yahweh because of his righteousness. This would be the kind of king for the people at this stage that would have filled them with hope. These are prophecies of hope for God's people, that Yahweh will come, he will be a king, and he will be a righteous saviour. Now, it's pretty easy for us when we come to prophecies like this to make the link between these prophecies and Jesus. Jesus, the one who came, who became sin, uh, who, who knew no knew no sin. But the righteousness of Jesus, this king who came uh, as a descendant of David, who is a righteous saviour, this is not just something that we need to think about within our, our head, knowing that Jesus was righteous, but Jesus is our righteousness. And because Jesus was righteous, we are now made righteous. The second um, passage I just want to take you to here in our time this morning, and this is where we'll be spending the rest of our time together, is in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. This is where we see the righteousness of Jesus and how this impacts us here today. So this promised uh, righteous saviour who was to come, who was prophesied in Jeremiah, was then fulfilled in Jesus. And here in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21, we see how the righteousness of Jesus now impacts us here today. And it says in, uh, in verses uh, 16 to 21, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though he were making his appeal through us. And this is where this is really key. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He who had no sin became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In this passage, we see one of the most profound changes that takes place in the believer's life when we come into a saving relationship with Jesus. Now, when we come into a saving relationship with Jesus, there are several aspects of our identity that change. When I, when I mention this, um, this word I, identity, 
Um, often the thing that people will think about when, they, when we speak about identity, they'll think about the thing that they identify the most with. So if I was to ask you um, the question of, tell me a little bit about yourself, usually the response I will get from, from someone, uh, they will respond with the thing that they spend the most time doing. So, um, if I ask you, tell me a little bit about yourself, I'll get different uh, responses all around the room. Some will respond, I'm a carpenter, I'm an accountant, I'm a mother, I'm a uni student, I'm a high school student, I'm a grandparent. People have different responses about, uh, about who, they are, uh, who they are and how they identify themselves. During my lifetime, there would have been different ways I would have identified myself if you came to me and asked me this question, tell me a little bit about yourself. At one stage, I would have said, I'm a, I'm a school student. One stage, I would have said, I'm a childcare supervisor. I'm a Bible college student. I'm a youth and young adults pastor. I'm a lead pastor. So here's some of the different ways that we might identify ourselves if we are asked this question. Now, on average, people are going to have uh, 12 jobs throughout their lifetime. And so the way that someone will identify themselves is likely going to change uh, quite regularly through someone's life. And this is sometimes how we can speak about our identity in Jesus, we can speak about it like I have just had a change of career. Something small has changed in my life and, uh, and now I identify with this, this Jesus guy. We may only think in, uh, in the terms of the faith I adhere to and associate with has now been changed. My belief system is now the Christian belief system. Now I identify myself with the Christian faith. But the language that Scripture uses about our new identity that we have in Christ is far stronger than how we would simply speak about a career change that we might have. The language that Scripture uses about our identity change is that we were in this column, column A, and then we go to the complete opposite in column B. Can I give you some examples from Scripture? That once you were dead, but now you are alive. You were once unsaved, now you are saved. You were once blind, now you can see. You were once unjustified in the eyes of God, now you are justified. You were once part of the old way of life, what we just read in 2 Corinthians um, just before. Now you are a new creation. You were once a sinner. Now you are righteous. So when you become a follower of Jesus, it's the language that Scripture uses, you are moved from column A, dead, unsaved, blind, unjustified, old, a sinner, and you are moved to column B, you are now alive, saved, seeing, justified, new and righteous. And the thing that moves you from column A to column B is this word that we saw in the passage that we just read before, reconciliation. Be reconciled to God. 
How are we reconciled to God? Through the righteous life that Jesus lived, through his death for us, for our sins on the cross, and through his new life when he was risen again, and his spirit coming and living within us. But in this passage that we just read, in 2 Corinthians, we see a particular aspect of our identity that is now changed because of the righteousness of Jesus. And we see that uh, right at the end of this passage, in the second half of, of verse 20 to verse 21, where it says, "'Be reconciled to God.'" So reconciliation, that's a thing that moves you from column A to column B. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When we come into a saving relationship with Jesus, we move from sinner being reconciled, and we are now pronounced righteous. For many Christians, this exists solely as head knowledge that is brushed over fairly quickly. But this is not just some tweak in a belief system. This is a complete identity change that we experience. We are no longer counted and recognised as sinners. We are now pronounced righteous. Throughout my, um, throughout my ministry journey, uh, I've had the opportunity to do, um, to do life or mentoring or whatever you want to call it with several young, uh, young men and as I've been able to journey with uh, a lot of young, young men, um, I would say 90% of the time, the, the discussion is based around them being consumed with sin in their life. They are struggling and fighting with sin that they, uh, that they have in their life. They don't want this sin uh, in their life at all. And most of the time... The, the part of the problem uh, of, of how these, these young guys often feel is that they have heard through uh, videos that they've watched on YouTube or they've heard from other people that you are a dirty, filthy, awful, rotten sinner. And that is the message that they are constantly being told. And yet, here we are told, you are no longer counted as a sinner you are no longer that. That is not your identity anymore. When you have a saving relationship with Jesus, you are now pronounced righteous. You don't live in that old identity anymore. You already have the Holy Spirit living within you. You've already been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. You've already been proclaimed as righteous. Our job as Christians is to start living like it living like who we already are, the righteous ones. This is how we are called to live. Now, when we allow this truth to sink deep into our hearts, this can cause you to experience a level of freedom like you haven't experienced before, a freedom from sin like you haven't experienced before. 
allowing this to sink in your heart. Um, it doesn't just happen automatically through just seeing, uh, just seeing these words and hearing these words. There is something that needs to happen for this to, uh, to impact our hearts. And it depends on what is our response to sin. And I want to give you four different ways that some, uh, the different people respond to sin in their life. Uh, can we just go to the next slide? Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. One of the ways that people may respond to, to sin in their life is with apathy. It doesn't matter. My sin's not that bad. It, uh, there's, there's no real issue with, with what I do. My sin is not that obvious. I've been a Christian for so long. I don't really need to worry about sin anymore in my life. And I would say that apathy is one of the primary tools that the enemy uses to destroy the faith of Jesus' followers. If you don't care... You don't do anything, and the enemy has already won through apathy. And I would probably say, this has been my experience anyway, the longer that I am a follower of Jesus, the easier it is for apathy to make its way into my heart. And we need to be on guard against this the longer that we have been followers of Jesus. So some people respond to sin with apathy, some people respond to sin with guilt, and I would also say that guilt is something that is not helpful or healthy for a follower of Jesus, because all that happens when you feel guilty and dirty and rotten is, that is all that happens. You just feel that way and nothing ever changes. And because you feel guilty, your automatic response to your guilt will to be doing something that will make you feel better, which is to turn to sin again. Guilt is this vicious spiral that doesn't lead to freedom and becoming more like Jesus. It leads you further into slavery. Some people may respond to sin with uh, this idea of perfectionism, this idea that if I... Uh, that, that in this life I am able to reach an absolute state of, of perfection. Or this thought that because I am already righteous, nothing I do really matters. In Romans 6, verses 1 to 2, that uh, um, uh, goes against that idea of uh, because we are righteous, nothing we do really matters. Romans 6, 1 to 2, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or that other view that I spoke to you about, this view that one day we can reach an absolute level of perfection here in this lifetime. I would just respond to that with James 5 verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. As followers of Jesus, we are to confess our sins to one another, not to think that we will reach a state of perfection where we'll no longer have sin at all within our, uh, within our life. Now, none of these three responses to sin are a biblical response to sin. So to know what it means to have the righteousness of Jesus and then to live out of this righteousness... The word and the thing that we need to do is we simply need to repent. Can we just go to the next slide, please, Lynn? Thank you. 
Repentance. That is the biblical response to sin. Often if we think about this word repentance, we may think of it as I need to uh, struggle and strain and, uh, and climb my way up out of the sin in my life. Um, but repenting doesn't mean that, uh, that we just will ourselves to stop sinning. Repentance means having a change of mind. It is realising in your mind and in your heart that you are already righteous. You're already pronounced righteous and then we live out of that. Our infinitely righteous God, Yahweh Tzidkenu, lived this out as Jesus and because of what he has done, now our identity has changed and we live as the righteous ones. So know this, believe this, and live like this. The Lord, King Jesus, Yahweh Tzidkenu, is our righteousness. And today I just want to, just as the team comes up right now, um, as a means of, of responding to, uh, to this, I just want us to celebrate the salvation and the freedom that we have in, in Jesus as we celebrate um, the life that we have in, in Jesus and the freedom that we have in Jesus, um, I just want to share with you, I thought it would be great if we just finish our series in the same way that we started it, with Acts 4, verses, verse 12, which just says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So I'm just going to ask you right now, if you just want to, if you just stand to your feet and we're going to sing in just a minute, we're going to celebrate the righteousness that we have because of what Jesus has done for us, the righteousness we have through Jesus' name. And we're just going to praise that wonderful name as his people together. So God, we do just thank you for the righteousness that is given to us through Jesus, through what he has uh, done for us through his righteous life. And Lord, I really do pray for all of us here today that we will have a fresh understanding of what that righteousness means for us, that we won't simply brush past that um, idea that you have provided righteousness for us, but that will change our lives. It will change how we respond to sin in our life and we will live out of the identity that we already have in Jesus. Lord, we want to be transformed to become more like Christ and to experience the life, freedom and hope that is found only in Him. So would you come by your Spirit and help us to change our mind, change our heart regularly every single day to not take our sin lightly, but also to not live as the sinful ones anymore, but to live as the righteous called ones of our great God. Oh God, we do just want to praise your name right now. We want to thank you for all of these aspects of your character that are true, that have been true throughout all eternity and are true for us right now wonderful, holy, precious name of Jesus. We praise you.